Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. Okay, mixed answers. That's all right. <laughs> hey, if you'd like to follow along with where we're going to be at this morning, we're going to be diving into Acts chapter 9. For the most part, that's where we're going to be. We're going to hit a little bit on 2 Corinthians. Um, you're probably going to already be familiar as soon as you turn to this story, seeing what it's titled. It's, it's a pretty familiar story. Before we get into that, I want to tell you a different story. So yesterday I got this email from a friend I've known for many years. Um, it's a lady whose name actually is Jody. It's not my wife. It's a different Jody. Um, and she sent me this email because she had gone to this conference um, and at this conference, she was challenged to write an email to herself, but to send it to someone else. And it's weird, I know. But in this email, she was told to talk to herself and say in the beginning what things she likes about herself, and then to talk about in the past 10 years the things that, that have really tried to destroy her, things that felt like they were just trying to crush her spirit, the, the obstacles she had to face. But then she had to end the letter by saying, here's the things that I was able to, to still do in the midst of all this. And so I'm reading this, and she's talking about, she's like, hey, I'm very wild, I'm very energetic, you know, I'm, I'm a very bubbly personality, I'm very loud, and I'm sitting here thinking, yes, that is you, that, that is definitely you. Um, and then she starts talking about the things that she had to overcome. And she had to overcome in the past 10 years uh, battles with infertility, she had to deal with several losses of friends and family members who passed away. She had to deal with uh, losing uh, her job and um, dealing with the, the adoption process. And, and, and she's listening to all this stuff off. And I'm just like, wow, this, this lady has went through a lot. Like, I haven't known her there in the entire time, just a few short years. But I'm sitting there like, I didn't even know the things that she had to face. And then she ends it with this last portion talking about what she was able to accomplish. And she's like, in the midst of all this, I was still able to start my own business. And I, I've made a name for myself in an industry I'm proud of. She's written several books. She's in a business where she helps other people achieve their dreams. And she was able to say, here, I have hundreds of clients. And she was able to list off all these little things. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, wow, that's, that right there is the definition of being unstoppable, right? Like, when we think of the word unstoppable, it's not, hey, everything's easy, and I'm always succeeding, and there's no problems in the world. It's really, when we think of the word unstoppable, it means that there's something that's trying to stop you. Like, you're facing one obstacle after another, and to be unstoppable means that you've overcome that. And I think about that when I look at Scripture, and we've been in this long series looking at these historical documents and the grand narrative of God's Word, and I'm left with this just powerful image of what God is like in this, this story of the Bible, that He's unstoppable, right? Like, He has this plan in place from the beginning, and we've read time and time again all these obstacles that keep coming up for God, and He's just blowing through them. He's unstoppable, right? So He, he makes this world to have a relationship with us. We mess it up, but he has this promise that he's going to fix this world, right? That he's going to send this hero who's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth, and everything is about waiting for this individual, right? And then he promises this guy, Abraham, says, Abraham, I know you're an old, dusty old man, but I'm going to make a new family out of you, that, and you're going to have more descendants than the stars in the heaven, right? And, and this family is going to be my family, and, and through this family, I'm going to save the world, right? And so we've seen this family really dysfunctional, right? Like the very definition of dysfunction. And God has worked through them, through one obstacle after another, to bring them to eventually to this Jesus guy who shows up on the scene, 
And we read of Jesus and how he's God in the flesh and, and he's facing one thing after another when we were going through his story. And you look at this and you're like, man, God was unstoppable getting the story to Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene and he's unstoppable. And then he starts this church and it's exciting. And you're just looking at this and you're like, wow, this is a really awesome God. This is a God who is unstoppable. And it's really hard to read that and then correlate to our daily life. Like you might be sitting there thinking, Mason, that's awesome, but how does this unstoppable God and his mission carry out in my own life because I'm lost in the daily grind of in and out and you clock in at work and clock out at work and then you come home and you've got to fix supper and you've got soccer practice, you've got meetings and then you've got crying kids all night and you're just going from one thing to the next and you're, you're maybe working a job that you don't like and you've got family members who drive you nuts and you're trying to be the nice Christian thing and you're trying to do what's good and you find that when you try to do what's good, it's difficult. And you find yourself hitting obstacles. Is that anyone here in this room? So it's very difficult sometimes to look at this God in the Word and see how unstoppable he is and see that he wants to build something beautiful in your life and it's easy to look like, and like, how in the world is that taking place in my life? And the daily grind of things. Well, I think the story we're going to look at this morning when we dive into Acts chapter 9 helps shed light to how is God moving his unstoppable kingdom and what's going on in our daily life, right? And so let me give you a recap of what's going on. So we're talking about right now in the, in the series we're in, looking at the birth of the church, and we see that this is a, a new kind of community. They operate a little bit differently than everyone. Like they live according to what Jesus taught them how to live, right? And, and the, the things they do is completely different than everyone else, right? So when everyone else is segregating based on your financial status, based on your political status, based on your race, your ethnicity, like anything you can think of, the Roman Empire lived and breathed on a system of segregation. And here's this church is like, yeah, we're not going to live by that standard, right? right we're going to live according to Jesus. And he tells us to love God and love people. And that includes all people. And so here's this new community that's being born. And it's something completely different. You see people are living in commonality with one another. Like there's no hierarchy. There's no class system. It's just this beautiful new family that Jesus has started. And we find that people hate it. Right? Like they, the people really, really hate the church. In fact, there's this story we looked at last week of how they kill a guy named Stephen because he goes around telling people, hey, Jesus is the king of the universe, guys. A whole new beginning for humanity has begun. And people are like, shut him up, let's kill him. And one of those guys was a guy named Saul. Saul was this executor, he, he was a guy who went around hunting Christians. In fact, we're told in the beginning of chapter 9, verse 1. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. I mean, threats, he's breathing murder, right? Like, that's a chilling statement, right? He's doing this against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what the church, the Christianity was called in the beginning, anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul's this guy, he goes and he gets permission to get a license saying, I'm allowed to go into your home and drag you kicking and screaming from your home back to Jerusalem so you can be killed for being a Christian, right? Like this is a monster as he goes out of his way hunting down men, women, and children. Anyone who dare says that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the master of the universe, he's like, I want to silence this guy. 
And this should be really surprising to us if we think about it. Because, I mean, Paul, or I mean, not Paul, but Saul is a very smart dude, right? He studied the Old Testament his entire life. You think he would be able to see that here is Yahweh, his God that he worshiped, has come in the flesh in Jesus, but he does not see that. And he's hunting down these people who dare claim that. Now, why is he doing that? Well, if you think about it, when we were in this series months ago, we saw how Israel went into exile in Babylon, right? And they went into exile in Babylon because they stopped worshiping Yahweh. They started worshiping all these other gods, and the God of the universe, God of Israel, Yahweh, got upset by this, so he allowed them to go into exile into Babylon, right? And they've been in this state ever since, where they've always been slaves to a foreign power. So it started off with Babylon, then it became the Persians, then it became the Greeks, now it's the Romans. And so in Saul's mind, he's sitting there thinking, as many were in that day and age, man, here's a group who's doing the exact same thing that led us into this mess to begin with. And they're sitting there thinking, if we got into this mess centuries ago because a few people gave up on worshiping Yahweh, and here's a group of Jews who are saying the same thing, we've got to stop this because if this happens again, what worse thing is going to come up? And so that's why Saul is so adamant. He's like, we've got to just purge this clean right? So in that day and age, if you were a Jew, you probably would have been cheering Saul on because he's viewed in the sense of trying to protect the security of the entire nation. But he's wrong because Yahweh has come in the flesh in the form of Jesus. God is walking on the scene and he's having a hard time understanding what's going on. And so when he's out on his way hunting down Christians, we're told in verse 3, But now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now this is a very powerful moment for Saul. He talks about it a lot in his letters. He mentions the story several times in the book of Acts. For him, this was a life-changing moment where he's thinking, I am serving God, and then God shows up on the scene and says, you're not serving me, you're hurting me. And it completely changes Saul's understanding of what the scriptures were saying. It changes how he interprets everything in his world. Like This is a life-changing moment for him. And it's so severe that after God says, hey, I'm the one you're really hunting, he goes blind. And he's having to be carried off to Damascus as he's like all of a sudden this crippled man who's having to deal with the fact that his entire worldview has been shattered. Everything he thought he knew was true was wrong. And so he's trying to piece together and he's in this terrible, terrible state. And we're told that that God isn't done with him. So if the story was to end here, it almost seemed like God was saying, yeah, don't mess with my church, otherwise you're going to go blind, right? But the story goes on. And we're told in verse 10 that there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Jesus doesn't merely just want to tell this guy, hey, you're hurting me, we're going to stop this. Like Jesus is not just standing up to this guy, but he also wants to rescue Saul. 
And we can look at that and be like, okay, yes, that's wonderful. Jesus wants to rescue us. And that's certainly true. But think about it from Ananias' perspective. He knows of Saul, right? He's probably had friends and family members be dragged away and killed because of Saul. And now God in this moment is speaking to him and says, yeah, you know that man that you're afraid of? The man who you're hiding from? I want you to go to him. And I want you to to be his friend. And I want you to show him the love of Christ. I want you to share the truth of Jesus to him. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that would make Ananias feel? I I want you to ask yourself, has there ever been a moment in your life where you knew God had asked you of something, whether to do something or you read it in the Bible and you're like, that's uncomfortable to do what this says or, or maybe just in some other aspect and you know what God wants you to do, but you were uncomfortable by it. You thought this is the last thing I want to do. Maybe you looked at yourself and you're like, I'm not qualified. I'm not talented enough. You know, I've done too many bad things. God, you're picking the wrong guy. Maybe you came up with all sorts of excuses. Or maybe you were just flat out honest and said, God, I don't want to do this and I'm not going to do it. Have you ever been there? I have. Time and time again. And that's kind of where Ananias is in this moment. He's throwing out all these excuses like, God, don't you know who this guy is? Like, he killed so-and-so. He's not a nice man. He's a monster. He's not the guy I need to be going to. He needs to be the guy I'm hiding from. But God is adamant about this. He wants to save Saul. And he tells us why. Where after Ananias gives all his excuses, God speaks to him and he says this. The Lord said to him in verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So God doesn't just want to get it clear to Saul like what he's doing that's hurting him. And he doesn't just want to rescue Saul, but he wants to use Saul to reach the rest of the nations, right? So we know that God wants to bring all of humanity into his family, right? He wants everyone to feel like they can belong in God's family, to come under God's loving rule and to love and serve God, right? We've seen that theme constantly in this series. And here's this next chapter, right, where this is going to start happening And who is God going to use but Saul? Now, here's why this is really funny, right? If you were going to pick a guy to send out to reach the nations, Saul would be the last guy you'd want to pick. And the reason being is because he's an ultra-nationalist, super-orthodox Pharisee, highly fanatical man, and God's like, yeah, that guy, I want to send him to the other nations, my friends, and people say God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? Like he's the last person you'd want to pick to send to the nations, to send to the Gentiles. But that's how God works. Because sometimes God uses the wrong people to make this world a little bit more right. Which is really comforting if you think about it. Because how often do you tell yourself or to tell God, God, I'm the wrong person for this. God, I'm not qualified for this. God, I see that there's a need over there, but you need to call someone else because I'm not the person for this, right? And if you feel that way, if you can throw out that excuse, then maybe you're exactly the person that God wants to use because God oftentimes uses the wrong people to do the right thing. And it's beautiful and it's a testimony to how good our God is. And he's calling of Ananias to trust him in this, to carry this forward. And if you think about it, 
It's because God has in mind to put Saul's old way of life to death. And in some ways, Ananias as well. And in some way, us in partnership with that. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was this uh, pastor and martyr during the reign of Hitler, is famous for this quote he has, where he says, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. So he's doing that for Ananias. He says, Ananias, you need to die to this fear and this limited view on how I'm going to work. He's telling the same thing to Saul. He says, Saul, you need to die to your old way of life. And he says the same thing to us. That sometimes we need to die to those things that make us feel insecure. We need to die to those sins we have. We need to die to an old way of life because God oftentimes calls us to die to our old selves to become who he always wanted us to become. The people he designed us to be. The people we are when we've come into a deeper relationship with Christ. And so Ananias starts to see this and he obeys. He goes and he finds Saul. He lays hands on him. He prays for him. He talks about Jesus. And we see that Saul, he gets baptized. He comes to believe in Jesus. He changes his name from Saul to Paul. And immediately, we are told of this amazing story that happens, where immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, right, right in the places where everyone was worshiping Yahweh. He goes in that place and says, guys, guys, i got to tell you this great news. Yahweh has come in the flesh. He's Jesus. He's walked among us. He's the king king we've been always waiting for. He has died for our sins. He's rose again. Like he, he goes around starting telling that. He says he is the son of God. Now we know that phrase son of God doesn't just mean, you know, he's born of God. It also means like he's, it's a challenge against Caesar because Caesar, the Roman emperor, was calling himself son of God at this time. So here's Paul. He stands up. He's a Roman citizen and he stands up. He says, guys, Caesar is not the true ruler of the world. It's this Jesus guy, right? He says Jesus was the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? I mean, they're stunned. They're like, this is not the same guy, right? Something different has happened. And at first, Paul dealt with this, this scrutiny of where people not believing that he had made a change. Like, people doubted, oh, you know, you're just on a phase. You're just on a kick. You know, you'll go back to how you were, you know. And so at first, people did not trust Paul. Even the other apostles at first were a little bit hesitant to be around him. They're thinking, maybe this is a trap. Maybe he's a spy. But Paul sticks with this. And he becomes a missionary. And he goes around sharing the good news about Jesus. And everywhere he goes, he faces this opposition. And he finds himself experiencing great trauma, great loneliness, all to proclaim that Jesus is the king of the world. And he declares that Jesus is worth any price. And he is not popular for this. For instance, there's this story where he goes to this city called Lystra. And he goes and preaches saying, hey, Jesus is the king of the universe. He has come to die for our sins. And people thought that Paul was some Greek god, right? And so they actually start worshiping Paul instead of Jesus. And Paul steps in, he's like, well, guys, you got this all wrong. And they get so upset with him when they're about to throw a party for him that they go from one moment celebrating him to the next moment they drag him outside the city, they take rocks, they stone him and claim that he's an imposter and they leave him for dead. But he gets back up and he continues going forward preaching who Jesus was. Then there's the story when he entered the city of Philippi. And when he starts preaching, it upsets their nationalism and their economic culture so much that they put him in a prison 
to silence him, right? But here's the amazing thing. God rescued him and used his time in prison to actually start the Philippian church. It's really cool when you read the story in Acts. Then there's a story when he entered in the city of Ephesus. And he does the same thing. He starts preaching about Jesus. And we see that there, this Ephesus was a city all about making idols. And so all these people are like, we're done with this. And so they start burning their idols. And it upsets the economic structure of the city so much that those who made the idols start a riot. They had to, and those who are Christians have to sneak Paul out of the city while those who remain, who are the Christians, get beat. They get beaten in the town square for listening to Paul. Everywhere Paul went, when he preached this gospel, we find that the gospel upset people's views on economics. It upset their views on nationalism. It upset their political views. It upset their family structures because that's what the gospel does. It completely turns this world upside down. What Jesus has done and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it changes everything. And people did not like this message. And they went out of their way trying to silence Paul. They're like, we got to shut this guy up. Paul recounts a lot of the things he had to face in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he tells all the stuff he's had to face to, to share the good news of Jesus. And he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. So basically that's saying, five times I was strapped to a pole and they beat me with a whip that was designed to rip the flesh from my back. They did it five times in my life. And each time it was 39 lashes. And the reason why 39 is because they thought if you do 40 in that day and age, you'd kill a man. So they're bringing him to the point of death intentionally. He said, I had to face that five times. He goes on, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of my anxiety anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fail or fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I mean, you kind of read that and you're like, okay, who wants to sign up to follow Jesus, right? Right, like this is a guy who has suffered so much. And at the end, he still says, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And I got to wonder, did Saul, or I mean Paul, ever plead with God, God, I can't take this one more day. Will you just end this? Will you take away this pain? Because I, I know you're worth it, but it is so uncomfortable. It is so hard to do good, to share the good news about you, Jesus. I think he did plead. In fact, he tells us that. But here's what God says in response. It's now in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
See, Paul saw his sufferings as worthy of the Christ that he proclaimed. And what a transformation. Because he goes from the guy who was inflicting suffering to now accepting it, to celebrating it even. And if you think about it, last week we looked at the story of Stephen and how his death kind of sparked the church to spread, right? And we saw how that kind of led to us here today. Well, Paul's in connection with that, where he's facing the same pain, except his suffering is not immediate. It's a lifetime of just trying to follow Jesus, of trying to be and do what God calls him to do. And he faces the suffering. And because he dies, you and I are here today. Because we're able to open up the scriptures and see all the letters that Paul wrote that help show us a clear vision of who this Jesus is and what he's done for us. We have so much to be grateful for the fact that Paul was willing to say yes to Jesus. And it's really powerful when you think about it for your own life. Of what God might do through you for the next generation when you say yes to him. When you're willing to face any sufferings. When you're able to see Jesus' unstoppable kingdom move in your life. And here's where all this story is kind of, the big picture is trying to show us, right? Is that Jesus' unstoppable kingdom moves by uncomfortable means. Jesus' unstoppable kingdom moves by uncomfortable means. When I was in grad school, we were paired off with a mentor. And about once or twice a week, you'd have to meet with your mentor. and You worked alongside them in the midst of all your studies. And you get to have this really, really close bond with your mentor. And then at the end of this program, just a few nights before you graduate and you walk across the stage to get your diploma, they have this special ceremony. It's, they don't talk about it all year. It's kind of a secret thing, and they save it because of how special it is and what happens. And at this ceremony, um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there. Me and my mentor had to be out. But I heard about this from my other classmates, and they talked about it, and they gave me this. Because what happens at this, this ceremony, the dean and all your professors come. They talk about the program, what it meant, and stuff like that. And then they do something radical. They sit you down in a chair, and your mentor comes before you with a towel and a basin of water. And they wash your feet. And then they give you the towel afterwards and you realize that the towel has your degree on it. It's like your diploma. In fact, that's how I think of this. This is a very special towel. I think of it as my diploma. And I know in this message what they were trying to communicate. Say, hey, you're about to go out and you're about to serve a church. You're about to to do things for Jesus and stuff like that. And remember that the focus is not bigger churches. It's not bigger ministries. It's not bigger events and stuff like that. It's about serving those in the room in uncomfortable ways. And they did this because Jesus did it. You see, there's this story of Jesus the night before he dies. He's with his disciples. He's gone through so much with them, but he knows what he's about to face that they're going to abandon him for it. That one moment while they're saying, Jesus, we're going to stick with you through everything. He's looking at them. He's like, I know you are going to leave and you are going to leave and you are going to leave and you are going to be the one who's going to sell me off to the enemy. He knows all this and he sits there and smiles as they're saying how they're committed to him, how excited they are for what he's doing. And then he gets down on his hands and knees, king of the universe, creator of all things. And he washes their feet. Men who were fishermen, men who were dirty and stinky, men who he knew were about to betray him, about to abandon him. 
Can you imagine how uncomfortable that was? Like it's uncomfortable enough to touch someone else's foot, right? But this is a whole nother level. And he did that to teach them. This is how you go forward. This is how the unstoppable kingdom that Jesus started will move forward. It's by uncomfortable means. And Jesus is still doing that in our lives today. But here's the honest truth. You don't have to say yes to this. You see, it's true. You can, you can call yourself a Christian. You can come to church. You can come to the events. You can come to the Bible studies and things like that. Have a great time and then still go out there the rest of your week and not listen to Jesus. You can sit here. You can worship. You can raise your hands and stuff like that, but then raise your fist to someone else. You can go out there and after hearing a message about serving others, about loving others, you can then turn a blind eye to those who are in need around you. And you can still call yourself a Christian. You can choose to be comfortable. But the kingdom does not move in our comfort. The kingdom does not advance when we choose ourselves over others. It does not advance when we're like, you know what, God? This is the line. I will not do what you want me to do. We saw a couple weeks ago how Jesus entrusted his followers to carry forward what he started. How it moves forward is by us stepping into some uncomfortable places to do things that we keep saying to ourselves, I'm the wrong person for this. I'm not qualified. That's the space maybe where Jesus wants you to be in. Because sometimes, sometimes where Jesus wants to grow us next is in the places where we are the most uncomfortable. And I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's a conversation you've been putting off. Maybe it's just being here. I recognize that being in church is really uncomfortable. It really is, especially if this is your first time, if this is your hundredth time. You know, you're always coming in with this air, this feeling of, will I be long here? Will I be accepted here? Will I be judged here? You know, everyone has that. I have that. Anyone who has a microphone feels the uncomfortableness of church. But we do it because in these uncomfortable spaces, God's kingdom grows and good things happen. That's what I love about the condition where we're in a church right now. You know, and this other wall on the other side is a room that's just still in construction. We're in a space that feels a little uncomfortable. But that's the space that God grows us into who we need to be. That's something we're going to see. Let me give you another example, even with our youth group right now. Okay, so... All of our church, you know, the bluff kids, the preschool, when those areas opened up, they were already completed. They were wonderful. But in Andy's leadership with our youth group, our youth group has done something differently. They came in, and every week, they make the space uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Like, if you went to the youth area right now, you would see a wall with, like, this just studs and stuff like that. It's uncomfortable. We're week after week, Andy's like, okay, here's the next project we're going to do. And here's the amazing thing. When you talk to our youth, they love it. For them, they're able to put this space together. And I've been able to watch as some of our youth have a deeper love for the church and a deeper love for Jesus and for one another because they're invited into an uncomfortable space to grow, to become who God wants them to be. And I think the same thing could happen in your life. So maybe there's an area of your life where you're like, you know what, this is where Jesus is making me uncomfortable right now. And that might be where God wants to grow you next. Maybe it's with your finances and your giving. Maybe it's in your marriage or your parenting. 
Maybe it's in some other relationship in your life. Maybe, like I said, it's in a conversation you need to have. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but I'm betting it won't take you long to find that there is some area where you're uncomfortable. Some area where you know Jesus wants you to step into and you've been saying no. And if you don't have that feeling, if you don't know that area, maybe you need to start praying for it. Because if we really want to see God's kingdom grow, it's going to happen when all of us make the decision and say, you know what, Jesus, you are worth any discomfort. You're worth any price. They say you are king of the universe. Won't you pray with me? The Father, I'm becoming more and more aware of the fact that I don't think we were ever designed to be comfortable. Because when we get comfortable, we get stagnant, we stop moving, and then the body starts to, to die. But you've called us to be like you. And when we look at who you are in Scripture, we see that, that you didn't step out of mess. No, you chose to step into our mess. You chose to step into some really uncomfortable places. I mean, you're God of the universe, and you chose to take on flesh and bones. You chose to be in a body where you stub your toe or you have to deal with pains that you don't know of. Like, you had to choose to be uncomfortable. And for that, we have salvation. For that, we know that you know what it's like to be in our shoes. And so, Father, I I recognize that your kingdom, which is unstoppable, Jesus, you are unstoppable. You are not finished working through us, but you offer us an invitation to be uncomfortable with you. And so, Father, we say yes. I hope that others would say that as well in this room. That you are worth being uncomfortable. You are worth having that that conversation. You're worth inviting that person to church. You're worth telling the story of Jesus to someone else. You are worth living according to your design and as uncomfortable as it can be sometimes. You are worth it. Because Father, we just want to be part of what you're doing. So thank you for using us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Normally when we end a message, the band comes up and sings, but we're not going to do that this morning. And that's okay. As uncomfortable as that is, let that be a reminder of this message as you now go out there to sing, to declare, to proclaim, to be all that God has made you to be and to love God and love people. Let's end this morning actually feeling a little uncomfortable. So love you guys. You guys are dismissed. Have a great week.